Welcome to The Blueprint, a podcast for you and your life as a professional. The people I have conversations with don't have to be famous. They have to be making a living doing what they do. My goal is to get you the information you need to make real decisions. Start a career, change a career, get your money right and get a handle on your operations. This is a career day in a box podcast. I am Philip Llanos, and maybe this is the blueprint for you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I have Mayanna Dellinger, who is running for judge in Superior Court of Los Angeles. Now, as you know, I posted saying that I was going to be interviewing a lot of people on the ballots of people that I deemed were interesting enough to speak to and who I was able to find easily publicly because I do believe that if you want to be a a person of public office or public positions, you should be able to be found easily publicly. Let alone, this is also a law professor who has outstanding credentials and graduated the top of her class. And we even get into not just understanding how the court system works in terms of how much power a judge has and and where they don't really have power and how it all works and uh, such as criminal law uh, cases actually being more tried by the jury than it is by the judge itself and how the judge plays a role in that dynamic. It's really an interesting and fascinating episode if you don't have a lot of understanding, uh, especially someone like myself who doesn't have a, a, a criminal background. I'm not privy to a lot of that information and I imagine a lot of you who are listening also don't have a lot of that experience. And it, it's important to understand exactly how much influence uh, takes place when we when we elect people like Mayanna, who do come from a more diverse background, where it isn't a white male. This is someone who wasn't born here, but has been naturalized as a citizen and has earned every right to be on this ballot. And there's even some interesting ballot uh, information you're going to learn about what it takes, like what it costs to even be on the ballot. It's really an episode for anyone looking to learn more about how and why, where they should vote, where they should place their vote. But also, it's it does also take a turn towards the end where if you've ever considered a career in law, this is the blueprint for you. And now without further ado, Mayanna Dellinger. Thank you for coming to the show, Mayanna Dellinger. I am super humbled that you took the time to jump on this little podcast of mine to help educate my listeners and myself, frankly, on the basics of civics and why it is you're running and why we should consider the vote strongly for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, you're welcome. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Yes. So it doesn't sound like you're from Los Angeles. Is that is that correct? I was born, I have a, an accent I can't get rid of. Apparently, that is correct. I was born and raised in Denmark, and I um, was there into my young adult years. And then I moved here to uh, Huntington Beach, and now I'm in L.A. I think that's cool, though, So I, because I didn't even know. I thought you had to be from the States in order to run for even local government, but that's cool. Yeah, no, I think you have to be a U.S. citizen, and uh, I was naturalized a lot later than I came for a long other procedural story or whatever, but I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. So I am uh, an American. I also hold dual citizenship, dual citizenship. so I'm also a, uh, a Danish citizen and thus an EU citizen, so kind that's, of international. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, mm-hmm. And so what... What encouraged you to even consider uh, politics and uh, and 
running into law and just in that direction in general. Is that a passion of yours that, that was always your passion? Or do you have some story where you felt an injustice, experienced an injustice and decided this is what I want to do? Yeah, sure. No, thanks. That's a great question. Um, so again, I'm running to be judge for seat number 72. So people can check me out at Dillinger for judge.com. Just a little plug right there. Sure. So I will say judges are uh, not lawmakers. Uh, they do common law. So they're not politicians, as you know, you know, doing this and that and the other for, you know, city council or federal government or the Trump Biden thing or whatever. Uh, but for some reason, California still has a system in which some judges, to be judges, run for office. So it's an election. And so that's great. So that I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm running to be hopefully elected by the people to be judged, sort of as my, one of my slogans is a judge of, for, and by the people. Uh, there's various ways you could become judge. The governor can also appoint them. But so, no, I'm not really, you know, I like politics as such, and I follow it privately. But, no, I don't want to ever be in, like, uh, you know, the political politics kind of thing. It just I'm just running to be judge and sort of from my platform. And so to answer that, so that's, you know, good because it's not political. It really truly is or should be nonpartisan, officially at least. But, it's you know, as we see with the Supreme Court nomination, of Amy Coney Barrett that I'm sure will go through. It kind of ends up being polit- political in the end. But regardless, um, that's what I'm doing. And so the injustice I've seen and why I'm interested in it is that I think, you know, I was number one in my class. I've taught law for over a decade. You know, I have people imitating me saying that they're also law professors. So look up people's credentials and whether or not they are. I really truly am teaching law at a real school that has a high bar passes rate and so forth. And so I'm good with the law. And um, I, I post my whole resume online so people can see. So I'm good with both the law, reading it and writing about it and dealing with people about it. And I think that's what judges should be good at, obviously, you know, having legal skills, but also being good with people. And so, so that's why I chose to do it. And I'm seeing a lot of injustices. And I think more importantly, and maybe for your listeners, I think judges as part of the government should resemble, you know, government branches really should resemble what real people are like in L.A. County. We're very sort of international and diverse and progressive or modern or open-minded society, yet the judiciary, I think, needs more input like that. And so with my background, sort of, you know, I'm an immigrant, I'm a female in a very male-dominated field, I have some ideas about how, you know, we might be able to cooperate with law enforcement and others to, for some better societal solutions. That's the sort of what I thought, why I wanted to do it and what I could contribute with shortly. That's something different. You know, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of prosecutors, deputy district attorneys that run for office and that become judges and um, that's the way it is and most of them or a lot of judges come from that background but I do think some other diversity and professional backgrounds can also add a lot to especially in LA County when a lot of us are very different it's not all one thing no yeah and that's exactly uh, thank you first of all for the correction and and helping me distinguish between uh, what it means to have Mm -hmm. a a judge be elected and on the ballot and how it's not necessarily related Mm -hmm. to politics but it is but it is local government right. and you brought up a very yep, good point yep. and that is that with everything that's going on right now in the in the um social climate of things uh being able to elect who is enforcing laws and sentences is important and to be able to know you can trust mm-hmm. the person that's behind the seat and that you're a familiar face you're easy to find publicly mm-hmm. all of those things definitely play a huge role because it does feel 
it may not be. I don't know the actual literal uh, uh, balancing act, but it does feel like it's a little one-sided where there's a lot of leeway uh, for officers. You know, I, I, my sister's uh, husband is a, is a police officer out in Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he changed out due to all the stress. But I... So mm-hmm. I, I empathize with the fact that, you know, that's a real person. They have a family they have to support. And then sure. then mm-hmm. there's all the things that are happening that doesn't necessarily help mm-hmm. their public relations, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so not to be overly critical, but just to state facts that, um, frankly, I've been criticized for because some interest here in society would rather that sort of some certain things are just hushed up and judges just as they tend to, to do in the past or judicial candidates just promising to be neutral and fair, which, of course, we will be and we're not prejudging anything and I'm not either. But I am pointing out facts that the facts are such that uh, deputy district attorneys cooperate and that's what they do as prosecutors with the police. Uh, department. And we've seen that over the past 20 years in L.A. County, there's been around 900 incidents of police brutality. And one, one single one of those police officers were, was, uh, uh, charges was brought against him. And that's just not right. So there's just something that I think, and we know the district attorney's officer, Jackie Lacey or uh, George Gascon, are debating this publicly, and I don't have an opinion on which one of those, or at least not enough. I do have a private opinion, but not an, a public opinion sure. on which one of those two win. But I, we know that there's definitely, like you just pointed out, some things going on that need to be rectified. And I think, you know, I'm not saying we should get rid of all police officers and all that kind of stuff. We need the police. I will cooperate with, with them when I win all law enforcement. But I am saying that there are some um, some uncomfortable things going on that we need to look at and how do judges play into that so officially they don't but i'm just worried that or not i'm concerned that quite a large percentage of uh, judges come from former prosecutorial backgrounds and i think it's great and they are hopefully impartial i'm just saying i think to balance things out right now until we know what better to do we need some diversity in professional backgrounds and some other experiences some critical voices and some people that haven't worked I think personally, so closely with uh, law enforcement until they figure out their side of the whole problem. Um, so just some, you know, we know how diversity actually always helps and not just doing the same thing we've done for so many years. So that's where I come into the picture that, you know, bringing something neutral and an outside voice and, you know, a strong female voice and, a, you know, it won't be a rubber stamp, but something critical into the whole debate and you know again i'm not saying of course all police officers are not bad most of them are good but i am questioning privately their you know for instance the code blue of you know if somebody's doing something is not what they call it if something is doing something bad they're not wanting to rat on each other and you know i think they that's within their realm but i think they need to have that discussion but i think in the meantime um, I'm just promoting some judicial reform from all angles and some new outside looks on things and a little bit of, uh, you know, a critical voice that I will help provide without being biased one way or another, but also without being yet another prosecutor. And I think that's healthy uh, for the government. Again, I think the government, including judges, should resemble more of what real LLA is like. And it's not just a white elite male, pardon me, but system that we've seen for a lot of years. We need some some other voices and I would be one of those. Sure. Now, uh, there's, there's obviously there's, uh, so I don't understand the way the, the local courts are broken down. I mean, they don't really teach you that 
in in school. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of right. weird, actually, that they don't really take the time to break mm-hmm. down something that impacts you the most. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so maybe you can help me understand, because obviously yes. there's more than one judge. There's there's a lot of courts. There is yes. a major court in yes. downtown Los Angeles. Um, yes. And is that where you're looking I, to be seated? I'm, Yes, uh, not necessarily in downtown Los Angeles. So you're right, and I'm glad to see that finally people are paying attention to local judges because we know we can't vote on, for instance, Amy Coney Barrett or any of those at the Supreme Court, but we know we can vote of us potential local judges, which is also really important, right, the day-to-day solutions you talked about. So here's how it works. So in the L.A. Superior Court system, that's actually the trial court system and not anything despite sounding superior. It's not. It's the trial court system. There's about 500 judges in all of L.A. County. I forget how many courthouses there are, but a whole bunch of them. A lot of them in L.A., but actually L.A. County goes all the way up to Lancaster, Palmdale, and all the way down to Long Beach and Torrance and over to Avalon Island. You know, So it's a right. huge, huge county. And there's all these courthouses, and there's about 500 judges. All of them have a number for, I guess, just human resource reasons or whatever. So the numbers are my numbers, 72. Doesn't actually mean anything other than there was a lady uh, judge who retired or announced her retirement. And then I just thought, you know, this is the number. This is good enough. Doesn't mean anything else than that. So if or hopefully when I win and the other folks too, there's about 10 that are elected uh, every other year or so. Most are appointed by the governor, but then under the California Constitution, uh, voters can elect some every other year. And so the way that works is when the winners then in those seats that are open, you know, like I said, an average of 10 people every other year, then they will work with the presiding judge, so the boss, and, you know, they rotate in turns within the system of who's presiding judge. On where physically or geographically they would like to be, the newly elected judges, and what issues they would like to work with. And so in my case, I'm privately, uh, I live close to the Old Town Pasadena area, so obviously I'd like to be geographically close to, you know, this area, someplace, downtown LA, or, you know, anywhere really, you know. Um, But also, there's actually many more types of judges than just criminal law judges, so I've gotten a lot of questions uh, about criminal law issues. And that's important, obviously, and I think that might be most of them, but there's also small claims, there's traffic, there's drug, there's juvenile court, there's, you know, homeless court, even there's a lot of other or some other types of judges, too. So you would basically work when you win with the presiding judge on where physically you'd like to work and on what issues you'd like to work. And then, but obviously they put you where they think they have a need. And you're considered, you know, we have law degrees. We're all qualified to run because uh, the state bar of California uh, or the Constitution says you're qualified to run if you've been uh, in the legal field and uh, in good standing for at least 10 years. And so then uh, you're considered, in short, to be smart enough to figure out these different things. So the judges will work with you again, in short, on where and what, where you want to work and what you want to work with. Okay. So at some point, you will have the seat of presiding judge where you're the one that's the boss for that time. No. Mm-mm. So the, again, there's, uh, that would be a huge honor and, you know, but that's like a, but so that it boss. So there's about 500 sitting judges, maybe even more, but there's one of those that gets, I'm not even entirely sure, but it's selected or elected. One of them is the boss of all 500. So, mm. uh, so no, I would not necessarily be, I would quote unquote, just be a regular judge just working for and by the people sure, and somebody sure. will be the bo- boss. And that one boss will be 
then working with you to where you're going to be put, you know, sort of the boss of all these 500 other judges. Right. Now, I, I don't have much experience with courts. Uh, my lifestyle just never brought me into that. But uh, there were a few times where I showed up with someone to help them out. And also, yeah. as a child, mm-hmm. I was in the system a lot because of uh, like my, mm-hmm. my parents didn't get along and there was like custody battles. And yeah. But yeah. From what I can yeah. recall every single time, it was always a white male. And uh, and it's. Yep. It's up to their discretion what they deem is the final verdict, right? Which is the power that you're going to hold over either a criminal uh, justice case or a a drug case or, you know, a traffic ticket Mm -hmm. case. That's all going to be something that falls Mm -hmm. under your jurisdiction, correct? Uh, No, actually not quite correct. So it all depends. So traffic court typically doesn't have a jury and drug courts and some family law matters typically are not jury trial based. But criminal courts under our constitution are uh, jury-based. So no, in criminal trials, there's a jury that, first of all, they decide. The jury then, you know, twelve uh, members of the jury of your peers, um, so to speak, get to decide whether or not the uh, accused defendant is guilty or not guilty, just like you see on TV. Oh right, I yeah, love, jury you know, duty. Yeah, romance, I have right? A, I, I yeah, have yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a summons yep, yep. for like November, so yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So then there's the jury in those criminal cases, and that's the constitutional requirement in most cases. Um, but then the so the judge then weighs the evidence and kind of steers, you know, the prosecutors and the defense counsel and how everything is going on in the courtroom and doesn't actually weigh in on whether or not the defendant is held guilty. That's up to the jury uh, members to decide. Really? Then in California, under California state law, the judge then can can and will weigh out the sentence with you know different factors for you know aggravating factors, things that speak for longer sentence, or mitigating factors, things that speak for shorter sentence. But no, the judge actually doesn't in criminal cases have that much power that they sort of like you see until you find someone guilty or not. That's the jury that does that. So it's not like TV and the and your peers really do determine whether you are guilty or not guilty. In criminal cases, yes, criminal but you're right. Cases. There's so many other cases, like you said, yep, yep, family cases and traffic or drugs or whatever. You're right. There, the judge has a lot more discretion. But in criminal cases, because they're considered to be more you know, serious under the Constitution and might lead to jail time and all of that, then in those cases, uh, you have a right to a jury trial. Okay, so knowing... Which I support, you know, I support it, but, you know, in other cases, yes, you're right, the judges actually decide a lot in other cases, small claims, drugs, family, all those other types of cases. That is correct. Right. And so I, I noticed you mentioned earlier, uh, you're, you're, you teach law, and you said that mm-hmm. it's time for someone who hasn't had a, a prosecutor background to to have an opportunity to be a judge to even out the playing field. So does that mean, uh, did you ever practice uh, law with a firm or did you decide to stay a professor so that you can continue to shape the minds of other would-be uh, lawyers? And, and that's kind of where you decided to stay until this opportunity presented itself where you could step in as a, an election uh, ticket uh, to get into uh-huh. a different role. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, great question. And um, again, I'm not saying all judges were prosecutors before. I'm sure. doing my PhD dissertation in this actually, so I'm still counting them, but I just have had to put that on hold for right now. A lot of them do come from sort of the prosecutorial background. It was considered like the way, you know, you became a prosecutor, a deputy district attorney, 
and then you'd have really great chances of becoming a judge and you'd become, you know, sort of like the whole how the system has worked. And, you know, that's okay. I'm not critiquing that. And, well, actually, I kind of am in a way. I'm just saying that in LA and as we know that times change, we need something new. Um, but other people also come from, you know, some people come from other backgrounds. I'm one of those. So, no, I never practiced law with a firm. I was never a prosecutor and I was never a defense counsel. So some people try to spin that like, oh, that's so bad. But no, that actually is uh, not bad. I think that's really good. I graduated at the top of my law school class, uh, one out of 181 students uh, from the University of Oregon School of Law, and which was hard to do. So that's a huge honor. Then one I worked, out of 181. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so after that, because that's considered like, and it was like, that was a lot of work, <laughs> I'll be honest. Sure. Um, but presumably also takes some smarts or whatever I've been told. But anyway, so because of that, I was able to work with judges in something that's called a law clerk position, which sounds kind of boring, like you just file cases, but it actually isn't. So the Supreme Court uh, justices and federal judges and others have these law clerks that are like research attorneys. So they, you know, if the public knew how much power, not power, but how much influence they actually have, you know, that sounds a little scary because you think the judge sits and, you know, but he or she's sitting doing all his own research on these, you know, websites. But they actually don't, which I thought initially was kind of scary. They have these law clerks doing that for them and with them, of course. They overlook everything, of course. But I think they actually hire the best of the best and rely on these sharp minds, so to speak, to be able to find out, okay, what are, you know, what would advocate for the plaintiff's position in this case and what would advocate for the defendant's position? And crucially, what is the law? What does the law really call for? And so that's what I did. And then I proposed these um, opinions and bent memoranda, but um, but opinions even for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, with appeals I worked on, which is considered the second highest court in the nation. But basically doing all of that, of course, uh, monitored and supervised by the judges themselves. But I think that is a strong, strong background. And that's what you see also that like Trump or Biden, both of them pick judges with that background because they know that, you know, that background is strong. And that's why, you know, you can go on or I did to become a real law professor. So a couple of the other candidates are claiming to be law professors and they're not. So people should also watch out for voter influencing I really am or sort of tooting you know claiming false things to be honest so that's the difference between being a real law professor as I am that's the title is not protected so people can call themselves that a couple of the other folks have taught for online only schools uh, with really abysmal uh, bar passage rates where I have taught only for real brick and mortar schools with really high bar passage rates and not these online you know mail order or whatever you know online outfits that I think are deceiving a lot of consumers, but that's another whole uh, discussion. Uh, but I really am actually a real law professor. And as they say, imitation is the most sincere type of flattery. And why I think that's good that I don't come from the typical, you know, prosecutor or defense counsel background or working for a law firm is that I am used to working with the law truly neutrally and figuring it out and dealing with what is the law, reading it, writing about it, and dealing with, you know, these big, huge auditorium-style classes, dealing with people from many different backgrounds and keeping control of the situation and so forth. Um, so that's my background. But yes, I'm not the typical, you know, prosecutor or, you know, big law firm, you know, partner or, you know, see, attorney. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm beginning to completely see the different. Yep. I'm beginning to see the yep. benefit of why, why you should be considered for election because, uh, 
although it isn't politics in all things, there is politics, right? And when you come mm-hmm. from a background yeah. of being a part of a firm, there are favors, there mm-hmm. are backs to be scratched. Mm-hmm. And given the fact that you're mm-hmm. predominantly a law professor, and uh, that's mm-hmm. even harder than becoming just a prosecutor, um, it, it turns yes. out because you have to shape minds of prosecutors and defendants, yes. uh, uh, public yes. defenders, it, it really does yeah. paint the picture differently. And, and see, a lot of that, I wasn't privy to prior to having this conversation with you. So, right. Um, yeah, no. So, and yeah, I, no, I was just going to say, and I agree that, uh, backs to be scratched and so forth. And, you know, even if not that, just think about it. So a lot of judges come from prosecutorial background. So the district attorney's office is in effect. If you think about it that way, one big law firm, right? Jackie Lacey is currently heading it. She might be like now she might not be, but it is, in effect, a law firm. It's paid by the taxpayers, but it is, they have about, I think, 1,400 district attorneys that all have undergone basically the same training. They're from the same, you know, if you wouldn't want, you know, a whole bunch of judges from the very same law firm, it was a private law firm. And so I'm just saying, I think we need some other voices also. Uh, Absolutely. Than Absolutely. From it's that basically. Office. Yep. It's basically an area that has been completely ignored and mostly because the public isn't mm-hmm. aware. For example, the mm-hmm. fact that clerks have that much influence over what the judge sees mm-hmm. uh, and like that's mm-hmm. a hand behind the curtain that I didn't even know we should look out for even in federal yep. uh, government because who yep. are those nameless and faceless people who aren't getting attention but have so much influence? It's very Shakespearean. Yeah. And so that again goes into like true politics, like who do you vote for, you know, the Republicans or the Democrats, because they appoint the judges. So, for instance, Trump has appointed more than 200 judges and now yet another Supreme Court justice. And they when they get appointed and they get seated, they then get to pick their law clerks. And even though, sure, officially the law is and it is at the lower levels, you know, bipartisan and nonpartisan and so forth, then let's just agree, let's call it spade a spade. You know, in honesty, they will pick probably law clerks, just like the president or the politicians will pick the people that they think align more with their politics. So you're right, it is all politics, but there there are things behind the scenes like that. And that's just how, I guess, human nature works or how democracy works, but that's also why it's important, I think, in these elections to weigh in on the seats you can weigh in on locally. Right, right. which is why I went... I went uh, I went the extra mile hoping to get some time to speak with someone like you who is on the ballot. I mean, I'm sure there was paperwork you had to figure out and like fill out and uh, whether oh, yes. you're running for a political position or not, you're still on the ballot. So there was a lot of mm-hmm. um, red tape to go through and and the bureaucracy yes. is crazy. Yes. In Los Angeles. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And intrigues learned, and sort of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. We go overlap. Ahead. No, no, no go ahead. That's okay. No, I was just going to say also the uh, pushback I have gotten from the establishment, which I think is scary. It's a democracy, but the established forces, and we can all guess at who they might be, and the pushback, which may be natural, but is also, I think, has gone a little over overboard in what should be an open democracy and letting voters you know, vote and letting me speak my piece and so forth. So you can imagine that. But also just even a thing like, did you know or did your listeners know that we as candidates for judicial office, and I think other offices too, get to put a 200-word uh, statement on these sample ballots you get. And people have asked me a few times, why didn't you do that? And the reason is that they charge for that. Do you know what they charge for that? So take a guess, you know, for 200 words on the sample ballot, 
I thought it was a, a typo or something like that. I read it as $108.80, and they told me, no, it's $108,000. What? And eight, yeah, $108,000 to put 200 words on your ballots or on your ballot statement yes in order to allow a a deeper context for a voter to look at the ballot and have an understanding of who you are it would cost you out of pocket a hundred and eight thousand dollars a hundred eight thousand eight hundred dollars yes sir that's correct isn't that amazing in a democracy in the county of la and they base it based on you know i don't know but in judicial seats so that's why only the millionaires do only one person did that in march but I can't afford that. But I find that, too, to be not very conducive of a democracy, right? Because who could afford that? I couldn't, so I didn't. And right. that and would have been in the official documents, right? But, yeah, who can afford that? So that's yet another issue. So, and I can see how so by design that keeps people from – now that forces yeah. people to do their research. But if you didn't educate a, a society to learn how to do proper research or what – uh, to be in yes. the know of what's yes. so that's exactly what that's by design defaulting people to say yes. I don't know I'll vote for this person yeah. and then they threw away their vote. Yeah, or if you are really rich and one hundred eight thousand is pocket change to you, then sure you could put in your two hundred word statement. Why should that not be a democratic right? Why should I not? I also paid two thousand one hundred dollars just to be on the ballot. And so wow. why, as part of my $2,100, should I not have the right to have, you know, 200 Absolutely. measly words put on those? <laughs> so Absolutely. Anyways, I could build a website and throw on more than 200 words for $16 a month. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. Right. So, so the payola so there you have it. So Wow. Yep. Yep. So there's a lot of money, uh, you know, going on to and a lot of sort of things that people don't know. So thank you so much for pointing out all the information. About yeah, this. no, that definitely helps a lot. I think uh, in, in closing, because uh, I know I know I don't want to take too much of your time, but because this is a career based podcast and you are a law professor, mm-hmm. I see it as a perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to ask you if somebody was sincerely considering, let's say, change because of the way the times are right now. And in general, there's mm-hmm. always ups and downs. Mm-hmm. People want to change careers, mm-hmm. start new careers. Mm-hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. What would you say would be the best path for someone to follow if stepping, uh, if deciding to stepping into law, and 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 specifically, what would be the shortest path you believe, or looking back mm-hmm. on it, how would you have done things differently? Yeah, so I think uh, not to sound uh, too negative or whatever, but people should really reconsider, at least in California, whether they even want to get a law degree or not. Because I think a lot of my students sort of you know, think that, okay, you get a law degree and you could help shape society and weigh in. But I will say there's a lot of people that have law degrees in California already. And it tends to be a very elitist, unfortunately, a very elitist society that if you want to work for a law firm, which I don't recommend because they'll kill you with billable hours, it's called, and, you know, working requirements. But they only hire the top 10% of the class out of the top 10 law school in the nation, mind you, so Harvard, Yale, you know. Stanford, although. So it's just a very snobby system. So I would caution people to really think about whether they want to do that or whether they want to do something, like you said, a little faster, a little easier, less expensive, such as, you know, there's a lot of paralegals, for instance, that could still work and do less stressful. There's paralegal certificates. And I'm not touting any, you know, any school certificates or anything, but I'm just cautioning your listeners to really think carefully about investing four years in a night degree or three years in a daytime degree, law degree, that might not actually lead to 
And it's a tough road, let's put it that way, a real, real tough road. And to be careful about what these law schools, public or private, will promise you because they, too, want to sell their stuff, to be honest. And I'm sure. saying that as a public law school. But just for viewer or listener transparency, to really watch out for all the promises that are made about the fortunes and fame you could get. It's competitive. And maybe look into if people want to change things and they're interested in you know, medical issues or public health or, you know, if they, you know, that's like maybe a better, to be honest, better industry right now. Law is just as a lot of laws is very, very, very cutthroat competitive right now. And lots of people end up being kind of depressed about the whole thing. And it's not so much about, you know, debating. I'm really lucky and I'm really privileged that I have this voice. And thank you again to you. But a lot of people end up being disgruntled because they end up competing and sitting, you know, with a lot of other people and sitting in law firms and not doing that what they had hoped to do. But if they want to do it, then I would definitely recommend to um, to maybe look into the, some evening programs or some accelerated programs or online programs, something so you don't set aside your whole life uh, for three years to get this JD. There's a lot of new things online and hybrid and a lot of new interesting models from good schools that uh, have specialties that might appeal to people. I but see. again, to be really sort of watching out for the promises that are made, as I guess is always the case. And it does seem like there's a, a lot of obviously for-profit schools. That's what they're going for. And there are a lot yep. of promises about, you know, the riches and fames of, uh, of, of yep. law degrees. But And I do know a lot yep. of people who have master's and law degrees and they still can't find a job because mm-hmm. they're either overqualified right. or don't have enough yep. experience. And so yes. I can see how those are all pitfalls. So is there anything else a yeah. law degree can be used for in case someone who's listening does have a law degree, but they don't know how else to take the next step forward? Yeah. So, and, you know, or even want to consider it because I still think it's a really good, apart from the fact that it takes so long and so darn hard and it's so darn hard to pass the bar in California. Right. I still think it's a degree that really can help you like really sharpen your mind. I think you know, I'm not that smart, but I became a little bit smarter from getting the degree. Okay. So it's a good degree. And you're right. There's actually a lot of, they call them JD preferred, where you don't have to have passed the bar necessarily, but that it's a good degree still to have, I think, for, you know, getting into like public policy or policy making or even new healthcare things, you know, a lot of different, like if you're not thinking you're going to be, you know, like, watch out for the promises to be, like, the sexy, smart lawyers on TV, because that's kind of a tough road in many ways. But you're right to open your mind and look at what, you know, what other things are out there that, uh, so I don't know, I won't mention, but there's public search websites for law, for different job functions or whatever, where people can, you know, you don't have to have passed the bar, but if you're a little open-minded, and it might actually be a happier road than being, to be honest, a paid you know, hourly attor- or what do you call it? An attorney with a billable, yeah, uh, hourly billable rate, you know, per year kind of thing. But so just to be a little bit open-minded and to, yeah, I guess a lot of us and me too, I thought too, okay, I'm going to, you know, be an attorney and work for this law firm. Okay, well, I guess not. But to kind of give up maybe what actually may not be the most successful route, but to be open-minded into what, how else you can contribute and thinking, like I say, outside of the box and look at, you know, there's LinkedIn. So there I mentioned it, but a lot of different places where they look for people with GADs without necessarily people having uh, passed the bar, if that's an issue. Right. So still lots of good jobs out there because it is a good degree still, I will say. It really sharpens your pencil. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I will definitely consider that and 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 take it uh, forward with saying thank you for 
for sharing that because I know a lot of people listening are probably considering where they can change their career and having someone on yep. the other end of it saying, look, I mean, you can do it. Uh, it's really a crapshoot. Like it's not as uh, yeah. essential anymore because everyone decided to have this type of career, rather it's a doctor or yep. a lawyer. Yep. And yep. with that many people Only, in yep. one profession. You're saying, right. That is true. Unless you, so a lot of people also want to be in California because I will say if you want to get a law degree, a JD, and work in the Midwest where it's cold and nasty, to be honest, but they're actually looking for employees, not just with JDs, but in other uh, fields as well. And if, I don't know, so that's something too to consider that, yeah, we all want to be in California, but, you know, that's harder, but there are actually parts in the nation where they're like recruiting actively and dreaming. So for instance, so I teach right now, uh, for the University of South Dakota School of Law, and we have basically a 100% employment rate. And actually, they're you know wow. recruiting actively to get people to move out there in that part of the nation because, frankly, not that many people want to be there. But if that was you know something you could do for some years, then yeah, you can do it. But again, if you're gung ho on being in California, New York, that's just more competitive. But sure. some people you know might want a little bit of a quieter lifestyle and different values or you know whatever. Then there are actually then you know you could make it uh, in that field in other parts of the nation. So. Yeah. Geography is something to think about too. But I, hey, I we love noticed, California. Yeah, right? I've have noticed a lot of people are deciding to move. Like most Californians are going to Texas, and most uh, New Yorkers yep. are going to Florida. And I'm pretty sure it there's going like to be it, a yep. massive, massive shift in uh, populace uh, across uh, the nation here, without question. Especially as the pandemic continues to yep. rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not very many statistics shows show into sort of the North Midwest or Midwest for reasons we can imagine, but not discuss here. But if people wouldn't mind that, you know, and there's little pockets of nice little things everywhere. So that's another thing that there are jobs out there. But yeah, the geography is an issue. Yeah, yeah. I lived in New York, uh, and and the winters <laughs> the winters were brutal. Um, but listen, oh, yeah. uh, Mayanna, uh, I want to roll out the red carpet for you. You know, you're welcome to direct people wherever you want them to go. Uh, let them know where they can find you. If you'd like to be reached out to, uh, the red carpet is rolled out for you. Hey, thank you so much for that. So I just think a lot of people have looked me up and you could just Google me. My name is Mayanna, M-Y-A-N-N-A, Dellinger, D-E-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. Uh, but basically, check out my website, DellingerForJudge.com, and that has also all the Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all that information on it. But I'm pretty pretty accessible, so just Google me and you'll find me. Awesome. Awesome. Mayanna, thank you very much. Thank you very much for tuning in, for being part thank of the show. Thank you so much. And for educating us. No, absolutely. Yes, and happy voting. Thank Make you. the right choices, people. Yeah, yeah. Important. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Blueprint. I hope it was helpful. And as always, I'm open to feedback. Please follow our guest where they directed you to. And also connect with me on LinkedIn. Or you can even get more personal and connect with me on Instagram. Either way, let's network. Let's build. And let me know who else you'd like to hear about. What other industries and professions you're interested in.